0: Do you want a politically incorrect gateway to a real history education? Then go to mclanahanacademy.com. That's McClanahanAcademy.com. The Brian McClanahan Show, Episode 145. Are you ready to think locally and act locally? Welcome to The Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to The Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to be back on the program. Glad to be here. Before we get started, just want to remind you that you can find me on Twitter, you can follow me there at Brian McClanahan. You can like me on Facebook at Brian McClanahan. And, of course, you can subscribe to my YouTube page where you can see this podcast as well as listen to it. Just go out and look for Brian McClanahan. If you want to go to my webpage, BrianMcClanahan.com, give me an email address. I will give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, and a free audiobook of The same title read by yours truly. You can also go to BrianMcClanahan.com forward slash support, and you can throw a few pennies my way. If you want to help support The Brian McClanahan Show and you want to get some cool stuff for it, go to McClanahanAcademy.com. You can uh, sign up there for free, always free, but, of course, you can purchase courses by yours truly from there as well. More material is forthcoming. In fact, the podcast I'm going to talk about today or the episode of today is focused on one of those forthcoming courses, one that's unfinished, but yet I'm going to give you a little free preview of that. You can also support The Brian McClanahan Show by going to Learn, T-R-U-E, learntruehistory.com, T-R-U-E. You can sign up there for that particular website and get some courses by yours. Truly, Tom Woods, Kevin Goodsman, and others. It's a real good liberty education for very little money. Good bang for your buck. And if you want to get some McClanahan show gear, just go to redbubble.com. Put in Brian McClanahan at the top of the page, and you will see my logo on all kinds of cool stuff. T-shirts, bags, stationery, skins for your phone, iPad, Uh, All kinds of things, even a clock, wall clock, you can get that. So cups, so all that stuff is out there. Go ahead and pick those things up. Just go to redbubble.com, search for Brian McClanahan. All right, so today I'm going to do something where I'm going to preview a course that I'm going to be offering probably by the fall, maybe before that. I don't know yet. Depends on how fast I can get it done. By the fall for McClanahan Academy. It's going to be a constitution class, a little different from what I've taught before, I do teach a constitution class at learntruehistory.com, T-R-U-E. I teach a constitution class there with Kevin Goodsman. But this one's going to be a little different, and so I'm hoping it'll entice you to buy it there, but I'm going to give you a, a little bit of a free preview of it, some of the things I'm going to be talking about. One of the things that people ask me all the time is about the Articles of Confederation. Dr. McClanahan, what about the Articles of Confederation? Nobody ever talks about this thing. It's this forgotten constitution. Yeah, it is. It's one of the forgotten constitutions in America, along with others. The state constitutions, nobody focuses on those. Nobody focuses on the Confederate States Constitution. And no one really focuses on the Articles of the Confederation, except to say it was a worthless piece of parchment. Glad we got rid of that thing. Nobody really understands this document. I would would venture a guess that most uh, law professors and constitutional scholars don't really even understand the Articles of Confederation, because... It's not in effect. It's not in force anymore. So why even study it? But I think by studying the articles, you can get a good idea of what the Constitution was supposed to do or the basis of the Constitution. It's you, you have to understand the articles to understand the Constitution. I think that's very clear. It's not to say that the articles were better than the Constitution, though. I think it did have some advantages I'm not going to go through the whole presentation like I would if I was getting the course because I'm going to want you to purchase this class. But I am going to talk about a few things with it, a few ideas with the Articles of Confederation and show how these things, the Articles and the Constitution, do kind of work together. And in fact, much of the language of the Constitution, one way or another, was lifted either directly or indirectly from the Articles of Confederation. So it's not gone, it's just forgotten. It's one of these things in American history that's forgotten. So when you look at the Articles of Confederation, it was the first governing document for the United States of America. It was a real federal republic, and so... This get into the idea of republicanism I've talked about in the podcast. I'm going to do more on this notion of republicanism in the future because I had to cut that particular episode short, running out of time. But this idea of republicanism was a real federal republic. Not a singular republic, which theoretically that's what we have in America today, which we're not supposed to have, but a federal republic. But there are a lot of misconceptions and half tru- half-truths concerning the articles is perhaps the most unjustly maligned document in American history, without doubt. You can't understand the Constitution, though, without understanding the Articles. And so the question comes down to, and a couple of things I want to focus on in this particular podcast, because I don't want to go through the entire presentation. This this will be a very one of the good core lectures in that course I'm going to offer on the Constitution, Constitutions in general. It's a course on American constitutionalism. But a couple of things I want to focus on. First, this idea of union. Now, this is the key to understanding the original Constitution. It's the key to understanding American government in general. What kind of union are we going to have? When was the union formed? And, of course, how is that union going to be maintained? Is it going to be a coercive principle? Is it going to be voluntary? How is that union going to stay together? So, the title of this particular document is The Articles of Confederation and Perpetual Union. Now, I'm not going to get into the idea of perpetual because I will cover that in my episode, or in my uh, course. But, first and foremost, we are forming a union. But a union of what? A union of states. And the Articles of Confederation has a preamble. Maybe you didn't know that. People think the only preamble we've ever had is to the Constitution for the United States, the U.S. Constitution. But, of course, the Bill of Rights also have a preamble that outlines clearly what that document is. But this particular preamble says, the style of this confederacy shall be the United States. But again, that term was used in the plural form throughout the document, not as a singular state or as a singular republic. Now, it's a union between the states of, and it listed all the states. Now, why didn't they do that in the Constitution? Well, there's a lot of different theories why they didn't. There's never anyone... No one ever came out and said, this is why we didn't do it. I think the clearest theory is that no one knew what states would ratify the Constitution. And were they even doing anything that was legal to begin with? That was a real question in 1787 when the Constitution was being drafted. And then, of course, going through the ratification process, no one knew which states were going to actually go out and ratify that new Constitution. Because they had a Constitution, the Articles of Confederation. Now, the Articles of Confederation, like the Constitution, is divided up into articles, which is why it's called an Articles of Confederation. Just like the Constitution has articles, there are seven articles in the United States Constitution. There are 13 articles in the Articles of Confederation. So, it's about half. But, of course, the Constitution has more defined powers, whereas the article does not. The Articles of Federation does not. It's very weak in terms of the powers that the central authority has. Now, again, I'm not going to focus on all of that because this is giving you a little taste of some of the things I'm going to do in that class, which will be available this year. So if you go to mclanahanacademy.com and you sign up for free, I will put out an announcement. When that class comes out, you'll be able to get it. But Article 2 is an important part of the Articles of Confederation. It's one that, in many ways, never changed once we had the Constitution. Now, the Constitution does not have this in it, but that's where the Tenth Amendment comes in. And clearly, when you look at the Constitution itself and what people argued when the Constitution was going through ratification, this article really didn't change. It's just they didn't spell it out any longer. But Article 2 says this, quote, Each state retains its sovereignty, freedom, and independence, and every power, jurisdiction, and right which is not by this confederation expressly delegated to the United States and Congress assembled. Now, so each state retains... The sovereignty, freedom, independence, and every power, jurisdiction, and right which is not by this confederation expressly delegated by the United States and the Congress assembled. So, this is exactly how the Constitution was sold to the states during ratification. Because, see, if you look at the Constitution, and you look at Article One of the Constitution, you look at Article One, Section Eight, and Article One, Section Ten. Those two work together. Article One, Section Eight, lists the powers that the general government has. Article 1, Section 10 is the corresponding article that says because the general government has these powers, the states cannot do these things. But everything else that's not listed in Article 1, Section 8 is retained by the states or not prohibited by Article 1, Section 10. In fact, the Articles of Confederation has essentially an Article 1, Section 10. It has the same thing. So... What this is saying is that the states have everything. The general government only has what we tell it it has. And that's exactly how the Constitution was sold to the states during ratification. So this actually gets in, and if you take my course on secession, which you can still get for 30 bucks, it's a steal, $30. Six lectures on secession, and I get into this there, but the the idea is that secession is perfectly legal because it's not prohibited in Article 1, Section 10. The states cannot do only what's listed there. It doesn't say they cannot leave the Union. If they want to leave the Union, they can. In fact, the founding generation thought that was highly possible. The states could leave the Union. In fact, if you look at the Articles of Confederation, that's essentially what they're doing. They're leaving the Articles to form the Constitution, which is, in many ways, an act of secession, But Article 2 also does some other things. Number one, it clearly shows that the last paragraph of the Declaration was not some throwaway statement by Jefferson. Meaning that when Jefferson said that they are forming free and independent states, they have all the powers and can do all the things that free and independent states may of right do, which was commerce and defense, they can do all those things. Jefferson wasn't just throwing that away. That, That paragraph meant something. In fact, that last paragraph is the most important paragraph in the Declaration, not the second, which is what all the Straussian and Jaffides would tell you, but the last, because that's the only thing that works forward into American government. This paragraph formed the basis of understanding of the new federal republic regarding the division between central and state powers. In fact, you could go back and look at Jack Green, and I talk about that in this particular course as well. Jack Green's understanding of the American War for Independence. It was a constitutional crisis over the nature of union. And that federal structure was not something that the founders created out of thin air. They had a model. It was Great Britain. Great Britain in Parliament, the king had certain powers that the colonies could not deny, which was essentially international commerce and defense, defending the colonies, but all else, all other internal affairs were to be handled by the colonial legislatures, which they elected. That was the model. Now, there's another term there, expressly delegated to the United States in Congress Congress Assembly. This expressly delegated versus delegated has been one of the main points of contention when you look at where people say, "Well, yeah, the Tenth Amendment says that uh, all the powers that are not delegated uh, to the United States, uh, you know, that's but doesn't say expressly. Uh, there's pretty, there's wiggle room there. Delegated and expressly delegated are two different things. No, they're not. No, they're not. I know that Article Two says expressly delegated. and The Tenth Amendment does not use that word expressly, but that's because it was thought to be unnecessary. That delegated and expressly delegated carried the same meaning. Do they not? If I said, I'm delegating you this power, is that not expressly delegating you that power? Do I have to say, I'm expressly delegating you this power? No, you're delegating it. It's the same thing. So, Article 2 is important because it outlines what kind of union we're going to have moving forward in American government. It outlines what type of situation we're going to have for this union moving forward. The powers of the states versus the powers of the central authority. Nothing changed when we got to the Constitution. Nothing changed. In fact, James Wilson said as much, who was one of the most ardent nationalists in the entire Philadelphia Convention, someone who did not want to have the states retain all these powers. He said as much. Look, if it doesn't say we can do it for the general government, we can't do it. States can do all else. Tench Cox, whose opinions I've read on this podcast at least once if not twice or more, said the exact same thing. So did many other members of the founding generation when they were selling the Constitution of the states, even Alexander Hamilton. Now, this is the Hamilton we should believe. I mean, this is the Hamilton that we should actually quote, because I think that Hamilton didn't really believe this at the time. He was lying, I think, to get his, to get his way, because he understood what he could do once he got the Constitution. But even Alexander Hamilton said, look... If it doesn't say you can't do it, you can do it, we can't do it. And the fact is that would be a usurpation of power, and then those laws would be unenforceable. They would not be, there would just be no laws. You can't you can't do that. An unconstitutional law is no law. That's what Hamilton said. That's what all the proponents, all the friends of the Constitution, that's what they all said. That is originalism. The friends of the Constitution, not the antis. I know people oftentimes want to read the antis. They say, well, i gotta, I got to read the antis if I figure out the Constitution. No, you don't have to read the antis. Read the Friends of the Constitution. If you want to know what the Constitution was supposed to do, read the antis. Not, uh, read, read the Friends, not the antis. Do not read the antis. This is what Joseph Story does. He looks at the Constitution in reverse and says, well, the Anti-Federalists said it was going to be like this, and so heck yeah, it's like this. That's the exact opposite way to look at the Constitution. It's not how it was sold to the states. In fact, if it was sold to the states with the antis being right, the Constitution never would have been ratified. I think it's very clear. It was so close in many states, including Hamilton's New York, only three votes going for ratification in New York, that the Constitution would have been rejected had anyone known that the antis were right. So Joseph Story's commentaries of the Constitution where essentially he says look the anti say this and this is what it is. I mean that's a, that's preposterous to sell the constitution that way but this is what he does. And so this is this is the problem with understanding the constitution. Now it's also problematic because we don't really understand how much of the language of the articles was lifted from it and the same understanding carried forward from the Articles into the Constitution. In fact, Roger Sherman of Connecticut made it clear over and over again during the Philadelphia Convention that's what they were doing. Well, it carries the same meaning. We had it here. Let's just put it here. We're not really reinventing the wheel here. We're just trying to make sure the central government has more power over commerce and defense. This is what he intended the general welfare to be. And, of course, that general welfare clause was lifted directly from the Articles of Confederation, directly. There wasn't a new power that they created. They said in the Articles that the Central Authority had the power to uh, maintain the general welfare and common defense of the Union, the General Welfare Clause. And what was that general welfare? Well, Roger Sherman made it pretty clear in the Philadelphia Convention that general welfare is the commerce and defense of the states, of the union, not of individuals, not of people, but of the union and the states. And so that means that we are going to be free from invasion. We are going to ensure that we have a free trade zone between the states, that commerce will flow freely between the states because they were having problems with that. With tariffs being passed against each other in the states, so we're going to man- we're going to ensure we're going to maintain this free exchange of commerce, and we're going to defend each other if we're ever attacked. Common defense and general welfare—that's what that means. It doesn't mean expanding that power out beyond its true authority. It doesn't mean you can create new powers out of thin air. This is what Hamilton eventually argued. But that's not what it means. That's not how it was sold to the states. That's not how Roger Sherman, who helped write it and put it in the Constitution, that's not what he said it meant. So we, I think we should believe Roger Sherman. In fact, he was known as the Atlas. Roger Sherman, one of the greatest members of the founding generation, known as the Atlas, Thomas Jefferson said he never said a stupid thing in his life, essentially, I'm paraphrasing, but he never said anything stupid. Roger Sherman was a well-respected member of the founding generation, a man who was thought, if anyone didn't tell a lie, was Roger Sherman. Again, the Atlas, a towering figure, an important guy, a man of principle. And one of the most important figures in the Philadelphia Convention, one of the most important men in his state. In fact, when Roger Sherman supported the document, of course, he wrote several essays under a pseudonym, supporting it, when he supported the document, that carried weight in the state of Connecticut. But you don't hear much about Roger Sherman. Why? Because Roger Sherman was a states' rights northerner. To the core. He was a man interested in maintaining a real federal republic. Because at the time, Connecticut's small state, he realized that Connecticut had its own culture, its own way of life. He didn't want some other state dictating to Connecticut what it could and could not do. He wanted the protection of the union, but at the same time, he wanted to ensure that a small state like Connecticut had equal representation in this union so its interests were maintained, which is why he was a, quote-unquote, states' rights guy. That is real federalism and real originalism. We just don't call it that, but that's what it is. I mean, well, this is what we do call it. I call it that, but uh, the mainstream profession. Thinks this is cookery. But this is Roger Sherman. I think he knew something about the Constitution. He was there when it was being drafted, he was part of its ratification process. He knows something about it. So I talk about Roger Sherman in my Politically Incorrect Guide to the Founding Fathers, one of the great members of the founding generation. But it's interesting, and I've only gone through essentially two slides. In this lecture that I'm going to give you on the Articles of Confederation in my course on the Constitution, so if this whets your appetite in any way, be looking for that course because I have to. That's I basically made it through Article One and Article Two. I've got eleven more articles to get through, and I cover them all in supreme detail and the meaning of them. So you're going to want to pick up that course when it's available, and it will be available this year, 2018. At some point, it will be available on mclanahanacademy.com. I just have to finish it up. Uh, so be looking for that. But also understand that the if you're going to study the Constitution, you can't just do it in a vacuum. You can't just study it and look at the text and say, well, this is what it means. No, that's textualism. That's dangerous. You need to understand where it comes from, what was there before it. You need to understand the Articles of Confederation. You need to understand state constitutions. You need to understand the ratifying debates and the Philadelphia Convention and what these people said the public documents that were put out about the Constitution. You would understand all of those things because understanding all of those things will give you a firm understanding of what the Constitution was about, what it was supposed to do, and how it was supposed to operate, how federalism was supposed to work, and how even nationalists said it would work, and how the Union, which was established under the Articles of Confederation, not before then at all, No matter what James Wilson tried to say later on, no matter what Joseph Story tried to say later on, or John Marshall tried to say later on, all the nationalists, again, would start trying to say, well, the Union was there before the states. No, no, it wasn't. It's clear it wasn't. Even if you had a Continental Congress, those were ambassadors, as John Adams called them. They were representing their colonies. There was no union, and they could do whatever they wanted. So no union existed until... We had the Articles of Confederation was not formally ratified <laughs> until basically the end of the war uh, for the American War for Independence. So you have to understand that document to understand the Constitution. If you can't do that, then you're you're not getting a full picture of American constitutional history. So hopefully when this course comes out, you'll pick it up at McClanahan Academy. I'll see you next time on the Brian McClanahan Show.